Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. We're excited this week because we have a huge big dog from the strength and conditioning world, none other than Mr. Dunk or Dr. Duncan French, who uh, is now working in the illustrious world of Las Vegas with the UFC. Yeah, Dunk is a vice president of performance over there. He's been in the strength and conditioning game for over 20 years. Um, published author in terms of um, contributing to book, cha- book chapters, research papers. Uh, he's been a lecturer. He's worked with Olympic sports. He's done it all. Um, and he's just got such a, a wealth of experience. But I was buzzing to get him on because ge- genuinely, Dunk is such an absolute legend, um, a really good communicator and, and getting his point across of fairly complex um, subjects. And you're going to get that flavor from him as he goes through the, the podcast. So this is a bit about training in general. Dunk's specialism now in, in training MMA fighters and, and what that demands are. But I think just if you're interested in general athletic performance there's going to be a ton of this one that you can have a good uh, a good sort of listen to yeah you're gonna yeah you're, you're in for a, you're in for a real your real treat um and just before we jump into the podcast we want to thank the the sponsors of the scorecard science podcast red light rising um they actually are providing with the, the some some of the recovery tools that duncan talks about uh in the podcast with the the red light therapy and um yeah, it's something that we've been exploring ourselves. Um, I can say this, that I had the greatest night's sleep last night, Timbo, after sitting in front of my red light for 10 minutes. And long may that continue. Yeah, that's a great product. And um, as we said, they're using it in the UFC. So it's um, it's something which has been tried and tested at the highest levels of sport um, and of guys and athletes that really need to recover fast and effectively between really intense training programs. So if you want some more information about red light therapy, you can go to redlightrising.co.uk. You can check them out on social. and You might even get a picture of Jacko in front of red light in his pants, which is a bonus for going to have a little look-see of uh, what the red light therapy yeah, is all about. I put, the, I, put the, I put the pants on for the photo because you're supposed to do it in the Indy. But that's it's good that's of you. A different... <laughs> and they've, and just... oh, they've also got the, oh, for, for Scorecard Sense podcast listeners, they've got a five percent discount offer. Uh, so if you use SOC five at checkout, so code SOC five, you'll get five percent off your Red Light Rising products uh, at redlightrising.co.uk. So let's dive into the uh, into the podcast. And the highlight for me of this one was uh, Dunk's response to the to the proposition that what would happen if Jacko and I had a celebrity boxing match or MMA fight. Um, have a little listen. It's about halfway through. Um, I think it's safe to say that Dana White won't be on the phone in the immediate future. Hey, he he also said never say never. He's a never say never guy. Yeah, he also said people have actually got to want to see you fight, which I don't think anybody really does. <laughs> Right. Guys, um, sit back and enjoy Duncan French on the School of Calisthenics podcast. Tell him what it is, Jacko. Roll that jingle. So what an absolute pleasure it is to, uh, to invite or to introduce the myth, the man, the legend, Mr. Duncan French. Now, Dun- before I let you say anything, I went through your bio in preparation, as all good uh, interviewers and researchers would do. And, um, mate, you've done all right, haven't you? It's a, a <laughs> good career. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some could say people wanted to rid of me and I bounced around a bit. But, uh, yeah, no, listen, I've, I've been blessed. It's been, uh, it's been great. And, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a real ride. It's been a trip. I've enjoyed it. 
So from what I saw, you, you were head of the uh, or chair of the UKSCA for a couple of years. You've got over 60 publications, um, experience in premiership football, uh, Olympic sports through para, uh, through um, taekwondo and uh, basketball. basketball. Yeah, yeah. Worked with the Paralympic swimming team, which is where we kind of connected a few years ago. Um, head of sports science and performance at Notre Dame, and then now vice president of performance at UFC. Is that pretty much? Yeah, no, thank you. That's, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I don't know if I could have squeezed anything else in, but I hope that you've done well. Yeah, no, it's, it's been <laughs> so, good. So Don, we're just going to dive straight in and just um, because of that very background that you've got, tell us a little bit around like you, with that sort of wealth of experience, what does athleticism look like and how has that changed over the years for you? If, if you're looking at athletic qualities, because I, I've heard you say in a presentation before that you've got some now in the UFC is some of the best athletes in the world. Mm-hmm. How has that kind of context around how you view athleticism changed over the years? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question um, because, you know, I worked with GB basketball and some NBA basketball players and you think, oh, they're, you know, they're super athletic. And then you can move to a different sport. And, you know, they're athletic. You work with Premier League football players, they're athletic. So, yeah, I think the, it's, a, it's a moving playing field when people say, oh, these are the best athletes I've ever worked for, but worked with, excuse me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the MMA fighters right now at the highest level, just the, the, the different, the, the, the variety of physicality that they're exposed to and that they have to express everything from energy systems and, and conditioning through to strength, power, speed, all these different attributes. And that's why I say, I think right now, um, of all the athletes I've ever worked with, MMA fighters are, are the greatest because they've just got to be good at everything. There's no, there's no way you can hide really. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's really interesting because I, I, people expect this big high-level, highbrow scientific response from me. But I, I always kind of talk about three things with respect to athleticism. Number one is I use the phrase robust and ready. Um, I, I always want my athletes, regardless of the sport, to have a robustness about them, the ability to tolerate a training load, to go through a day, you know, workouts day after day after day to build, you know, your physical prowess. But there's a resilience and a robustness that your body is required to, to have to do that. Um, and then, re- you know, readiness, like, can you move from training into competition at the drop of a hat? Are you, are you a three, six, five trainer? Um, that means at any moment, if there's a competitive requirement or you move into a season or a competition comes up, you can easily transition from your, your general preparation and your you know, general training load into kind of competition. So I always use the phrase robust and ready for my athletes and, and what I try and seek. Um, and then the other kind of terms I use are athletic vocabulary. And these all really dovetail well with what you guys are doing at the School of Calithenetics because, you know, resilience and tissue robustness and tolerance is what you guys are all about using body weight. Um, and then general athletic skills. Um, you know, I, I always use the concept of if you only have like a, a newspaper um, and you're an athlete, that's that's the level of information you can use in your athletic skills if i give you an encyclopedia of athletic skills you might not need to be required to use all of those skills but you can tap into the chapters or the sections of the same encyclopedia that you need to maximize your potential in in your given sport so my, my ambition is always to give athletes the biggest encyclopedia of skills their movement vocabulary make that as big as possible. Why wouldn't you? Why would you limit their capability to solve problems in an athletic domain? 
Um, and then the final thing is obviously compliance. You know, how, how compliant is someone to the training process um, to build that athletic capacity across time? So, yeah, I mean, I drill it down to pretty fundamental components like that. But that's the way I see athleticism. Um, can I just ask you a question on, um, you said that when you're working with, you know, go through different sports and you've worked with some guys, you're like, these are the fifth best guys. And then you go to somewhere else and you're like, oh, cranky, actually. And then, so where you're at now, you're thinking, yeah. like, do you, is there, could you imagine moving to a, an, another sport and being like, actually, these are even better than those guys? Or is that, have you, you, do you think you're uh, the- I mean, I'm, I'm a, one of those people who never says never. But uh, listen, I think it, uh, last time I counted in my, in my career, I've worked with 33 different professional or Olympic sports. Yeah. I've, I've been around the block a, a little bit with respect to the variety of sports sports that I've been blessed to work with and it's, it just comes back to what I said at the head of the conversation Dave like the the degrees of freedom in MMA the the things that fighters that combat fighters have to account for just presents um such a, a variety of things that they have to be good at you know um you know they've got to be fast they've got to be quick well you can say a, a soccer player yeah. or a basketball basketball player has to be quick you know it's a different it, we're not a locomotive sport we're not a, a running based sport but there's a quickness yeah. there's an agility there's a power production there's a strength production you can't tell me that you have to be super explosive to knock somebody out but then it's a 25 minute fight at the championship level and that's a grind <laughs> that's a marathon you know so i think just looking at mixed martial arts in particular and combat sports in general just the demands that it places on the athlete really resonates with me when I look at, all right, I've worked with Olympic level rowers. I've worked with Olympic level para swimmers with like, like yourselves. Um, you know, they, they have a, a certain kind of bandwidth of physicality, um, but it's nowhere near the breadth of bandwidth that an MMA fighter or a combat fighter has to work with. So if we talking about athleticism, I'm not talking about jumping out of the gym. I'm not just talking yeah. about, you know, someone who can stick their foot in the ground and move and be agile. I'm talking about like the full bandwidth of athleticism, of energy systems, fitness, conditioning, movement, mobility, strength, power, speed, all these things. I, I, I really struggle to see other sports that have to um, account, account for all of those things in the way that MMA. Well, I think as well, you, you throw it on top of that, You've got the fact that it's brute, like it's brutal in that, like someone's going to try and snap your arm or knock your head off, like literally, like talk about, you know, playing contact sports like rugby and stuff where okay, you can get pretty hurt, but it's not like the aim of the game isn't to actually just snap someone's arm. Whereas, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? But that <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's just another level of like everything that you just talked about, and then you've got like you've got that on top of it. The the I don't know the mindset, yeah, I mean, the psychological. Must, yeah psychological prowess is it's hard to go in an octagon there's no hiding yeah. place you and you're on I mean? your own again it's it's such it's such a granular level sport that, that it just it, it exposes everything and if you've got any weaknesses in your game that's going to be really highlighted and i think again you, you make a great point the psychology piece the warrior spirit um, is is a huge part of what our guys have to you know support is that something so i don't know if i'm going to off piece but is that something that you see, have they just got to have that? Or is that something that they work on and hone? Or, Well, the first thing I would say is they love it, right? And this is this is the interesting optic for the layperson. They're like, our, our guys, our fighters, there, there's something about fighters that is different. They, they, they want to get in there and do it. They want to compete. They want to demonstrate. 
um, that they are they, they're superior to their opponent. And listen, if they've just been turned over and knocked out, I can tell you five minutes after they wake up again, they want to get back in. There's a, they're wired a particular way that's that raw, granular competition that is a fight. Um, but I think, you know, building athleticism and, and developing that, those skills, you know, they have to train, you know, a lot of them have to train and they're all coming from different stylistic backgrounds, which is another interesting kind of component to our sport. You know, you can work with a wrestler one day who's been through the you know, American collegiate system and wrestled at an Olympic level um, versus someone who's only ever done, you know, Muay Thai fighting or karate or something like that. It's very different on a day-to-day basis. So when we talk about athleticism, a lot of our work at the UFC Performance Institute is trying to look at someone's um, stylistic background. And constantly we're saying, are we trying to build additional athleticism? So are we trying to raise someone's limitations? Or are we trying to maximize someone's potential and just make their strength a super strength? This is kind of the conversation that we have every single day. And then when we talk about the concept of what is athleticism, it really fits in with our sport. Because if you're a, you know, if you're a jiu-jitsu player and all you ever do is spend time on your back in, in guards, you know, pulling closed guard and laying on your back, and then the fight starts standing up and you're fighting a kickboxer who's moving around and very agile, it, it, it presents a completely different bandwidth of athleticism. Yeah. So it's a really unique kind of uh, sport and philosophy, philosophy to work yeah. with. Yeah. Dunk, do you get, um, like, there's, there's a term that we use in a presentation, it's a little bit brutal, but you'll know what I mean when I say it. Yeah. Um, the difference between somebody who's naturally gifted and a motor moron, yeah. and we use it in this context of, like, people who struggle to learn to move in new ways. Um, when you get the guys that get to the top of UFC, are they typically quite athletically gifted by design? Because we will have all trained athletes in Olympic sports that are mm. motor morons, but are still good at their sport. Can you get away with that in UFC? Yeah, no, and <laughs> it's it's a really good point because I've had that myself. I mean, working with basketball players and soccer players, and you watch them on the field or on the court, and you think, you know, they, they're flying around, they're jumping out of the gym. It's amazing to watch them, and you break them down to the most fundamental movement skill, and you're like, like, how do you even survive? Like, what, like, what's going on? <laughs> um, we we get we get a lot of that in in MMA. Um, we really do because again, the, there's a lot of training at the higher end of things. There's a lot of chaos in um, in combat. So when the training for sparring or you know live drills or whatever it may be, it's it's chaotic, and they don't often they don't often spend a lot of time working on fundamentals. You know what what you guys would consider fundamental movement patterns, that tissue resilience, that neuromuscular function, um, which is the foundation of everything like it's it's an interesting one because you know i can think of the wrestlers you know the, the grapplers and the wrestlers like really ah like just brute force i'm just gonna run through this person you're like where's the finesse of your ability to walk on your tiptoes when you have you know navicular drop and you know you have really poor foot mechanics or whatever it may be you know we've got a lot of flat-footed athletes in our sport um because they don't you know they, they they're, they're in bare feet all the time but we see a lot of foot issues and that obviously moves up the kinetic chain so to answer your question yeah i'm, I'm talking about a few detailed examples but on, on the whole we do see a lot of poor movement skills um in 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 mma but at the same time you can watch them throwing you know turning kicks and spinning kicks and, and, and Superman punches and you're like, holy crap, this is unbelievable. Like, I didn't even see that happening. It was so fast. 
Um, I think that's a, that's a really interesting dichotomy to what we've presented with as, as um, you know, physical preparation coaches. How much time do you spend on building those fundamentals versus how much time do you sharpen the knife and let them do what they really do in competition? Yeah. But I guess it, it partly comes yeah. when you talked about your um, philosophy on athleticism. You were saying like giving them that encyclopedia of, of breadth of movement that they... Because when you mentioned that, I was thinking of like, well, actually, when you're fighting... Your your problem solving in that like you've got to have just a multitude of options, haven't you, to to give yeah. yourself um, that opportunity? It's funny, when Tim was saying about Motown, what I was thinking of. Um, I played I played rugby with a number of. Don't uh, name anyone, Jacko. No, I'm not going to name it, but I'm just I'm, no, I'm going to name a group. Be... <laughs> like we we were, we were we were blessed oh, okay. with having a number of like very very good New Zealanders come over and play for us. And normally, the last yeah. training session of the season, as long as you weren't fighting relegation, we'd play football just for a laugh instead of instead of rugby. And yeah. they were horrific at football. <laughs> and it was like the one thing that they weren't good at, it was like, it was actually nice for us English boys that could uh, actually do something decent. Yeah. And for the record, when I got, when I got knocked I out think... of rugby and, and woke up in hospital, I was crying like a baby and never wanted to go back on the field again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that, that's, that's... I'm definitely not an MMA, there, that's though, for mate. sure. No, no future <laughs> no. to give, mate, Fred. <laughs> I'd be scared just watching. You make a good point, though. I mean, I think like combat in general and MMA, because of the, the the variety of body positions you get into, it really lends itself to coaching them around some fundamental skills. And you know, often they embrace mm. it um, because you can always create the argument: Hey, listen, if the fight goes into this position, you might need to walk on your tiptoes <laughs> like this, so you might need to be able to hold your hip in elevation um in in this position or you know you need range in your scapula and your shoulder joint because think about if you you know you get arm guards yeah. uh that the less range that you have um in that 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 area the the quicker you're going to tap out so if you can get more range you're going to be ability to scramble get out of that and defend against it so it's it's easier to potentially create an argument to do in some of those yeah. things as well I thought it was really interesting, Duncan, and there may be a comment off the back of this or not, but obviously you spent quite a lot of years in taekwondo, mm. which is, in, in terms of, um, the, that's such a small part of MMA, isn't it? But yeah. You probably have seen, like, I mean, when I watch taekwondo, the speed that the guys move at, and they're, like you say, their agility um, up on their toes all the time is just incredible. But that's, like, that, that, like you say, the whole arsenal of skills that you need to, to, to succeed in MMA mm. is just, it really does lend itself, as you say, to such a great breadth of, of athleticism. Um, Jack had a question oh. which I'm going to steal uh, while I'm talking. What? Um, <laughs> Is it what so, when, uh, Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, cause it feeds in quite nicely. Just um, when you started um, working with, it, with, uh, with MMA fighters, were we right in thinking there wasn't a great strength and conditioning sort of structural process or foundation? You've had to kind of basically create that from, oh, from yeah. scratch. Yeah. And I remember you, you said, mentioned that when you spoke at the UKCA, I'm sure you said there was oh, like... You, you beasted his You went in, but you, you maybe said it was like a blank, it was a blank, oh, no. blank canvas to sort of do what you want. Uh, a little bit, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, what I would say is that they all come from very different approaches with respect to non-technical tactical training. So the physical side of things is very different. Um, and there's no, never been any unified way of approaching it for MMA. So we have everything from, like I say, wrestlers that come through college programs that might be really well-versed in Olympic lifting techniques and these types of things. On the other scale, we have people that only want to do body weight training um, because they're a weight classification sport and they never want to pick up a weight. Um, we have people that only do the technical training. 
we have some people that play around with CrossFit type modalities and just, you know, redline every single session. It's just like max volume, <laughs> max intensity, just beast it. So yeah, we, we, there's a real kind of cross section of what people are coming to the, coming to the party with. Um, and what we've tried to do is start to begin to formulate the best approach, the best structure for the sport of MMA. Um, which we're trying to justify the rationale of why you might potentially need to do some external loading over here or why you might need to do interval training over here or why you need to do some time working on, you know, end range motion over here and really kind of standardize a rationale of to your training approach, why you're doing the supplementary work. Um, but we definitely saw a lot of people that are into, you know, the body weight, calisthenics, gymnastic, parkour type things because, it's just so chaotic. Like it's, it's free motion and that's what combat is. And if you put striking and grappling um, onto the top of free motion, you're essentially talking MMA, right? Um, so yeah, the, it was really fascinating. And we have a lot of guys that still love to do, um, you know, calisthenic type activities, body weight work um, in and around, um, you know, what they're doing. The other great thing is that I don't know if you noticed, but some of our guys get banged up a fair bit. Um, <laughs> So when you're working around injuries and having to accommodate injuries, you know, the calisthenic and body weight approaches are a really good tool to drop into a pro training program to keep them stimulated, but still navigate around loading. Nice. I'll pause there. I didn't know if Jacko was going to go. I didn't want to butcher no. another question. <laughs> oh, well, um, the, the sort of lead on that was just uh, like when you – what sort of things from your, like when you go in there and you've not worked in MMA before and you come in, like what sort of yeah. things were you and experiences you, were you pulling in on from, from other sports and things and, um, and potentially like, was it difficult? I imagine some of those characters, are they, are they a little bit like, is it difficult to get them on board or were they just like, yeah, I like you, you've got bald head. I'm, I'm, I'm let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Got yeah. likes fighting. You look like you could probably knock me out, so but yeah, I'll, I'll listen to you. Like I don't know, or was it? Uh, I'm a little. Jack. Come on, mate. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I think two two great points. I mean, I'll answer the last one first. Yeah, talk about personalities. I mean, <laughs> you you see in everything, it, it, it's fantastic. What what a melting pot of personalities, like true blue chip, blue collar folk. You know, like honest as the days long. Um, in terms yeah. of combat fighters um, and that can have a great side to it because you really get to know someone and there's some great characters and on the other side of it like you can be a complete arsehole do you know what I mean like because you're a fighter and you don't care about anybody you just want to fight everybody so um, you know that that's that's the, the minority I think in, in my experience largely across the board these are great people um, there's a promotional side to professional fighting obviously where the, the showmanship comes out but you know, 99% of the time, just honest as the day is long. As an as an, as a, as an SSC coach and a physical preparation coach, that's all you want. I just want someone to be straight up with me and tell me what they're going to give me or not. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, you, you can tap into that and really use that. Um, but, the, you know, the first question is a fascinating one because, yeah, I was coming from working with GB Boxing a little bit through the, chat, you know, the Beijing cycle. Um, and then, obviously, I was head of S&C for GB Taekwondo uh, to the, through to Rio. Um, so I got combat sport kind of background. And that's one of the reasons why I was hired yeah. is, you know, there's, there's culture, yeah. right? Every sport has got a culture. Um, so you've got to be able to connect culturally 
But at the same time, MMA was not my frontline kind of sport that I'd worked with uh, historically. So I'm the new kid on the block. How do you get credibility? That, that's a fascinating mm. kind of philosophical discussion we could talk to hours about. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you talked about Taekwondo, Tim. I mean, one of the first things mm. that I learned straight away is this, this bladed stance of Taekwondo and boxing is completely useless in, in MMA because your foot position's got to be different for the wrestling takedowns and the wrestling defense. So you can't just sit in this bladed side-on position like boxers try and make themselves as small as possible because in MMA, it's more of a square-on position. So you're immediately, you learn, you're taking from your own experiences and you're saying, holy shit, I need to reprogram my thoughts on that. I've got to change my brain. I've got to go down a, a different route with this because it's, it's, it's a, a different tactical approach. Um, so gaining credibility, learning a sport, just immersing yourself in a sport from the outset is huge. You know, you, you, you've got to be able to, it sounds stupid, you've got to talk the talk and walk the walk. You've got to not stand out like a sore thumb and, and not, not know what you're talking about. So I think that was the, when, when we started the Performance Institute, we had a real balance of, all right, we wanted to recruit new people to a sport to bring new eyes on a product and change the product and elevate the product. And that's what we were doing with someone, I guess, like myself that had kind of combat experience, but wanted to bring some of my Olympic kind of thoughts into MMA versus, all right, just people that have only ever been in MMA and you're just recycling an incestuous product and it never changes. You never move the whole thing on. And um, I think that's what we've tried to get a balance of is credibility, within the sport, knowledge of the sport, using our insights and our, our data and our development, you know, the, the, the information we've accrued over three years to kind of start to question and, and speak to the athletes and the coaches about, is this a better approach? Is this a new way? How, how are you guys going about it? What's innovation in our sport versus uh, who's this guy from over here? He doesn't even know what he's talking about. So it's really, it's really important point. This is a bit. I've got two off off the wall questions potentially, but I'm just interested. Like, how does creativity fit into MMA? Because there's, oh, it's obviously a yeah. And, and is that is that driven by the fighters themselves, or is that a coaching thing, or is it a combination of both? Because I think it's a, it's a really interesting thing of how do you I, like the artistry of, of of that sport. Yeah, and I'm pleased that you look at it like that. You know, the, the martial arts side of it. Yeah, it's a fight at the end of the day. But I'm, again, just coming and being around it, seeing seeing the tactical and the technical skills that the guys have, it it's problem solving to the end degree. It's unbelievable. And 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 Jacko touched on it. Like these guys in every position are looking at how they can gain advantage over their opponent. You know, so it's constantly feeling body position feeling limb alignment, saying, all right, well, if I move my body weight or shift my body weight a little bit forward, a little bit back, it's going to give me this advantageous position to then change, you know, change technique or change body position or throw a skill. Um, so, yeah, there's so much creativity in, in, in MMA and in combat sports because that's what it is. You're, it's this back and forth, this chess game that is played at 100 miles an hour um, where you really need a kinesthetic awareness of problem solving to say, all right, my arms in a, if, if I stay with my arm or my leg in this position, they're going to move here and, and I'm going to be in, in a, in a tight position. I need to change away from that position and that feedback and that sensory perception of kinesthetic awareness is, is critical. And you know, that's the judo and the, uh, the jujitsu and the grappling kind of arts are really um, based on that. Um, 
but certainly any wrestling and clinch work and, and you know, perception and movement of your opponent for the stand-up is, it's all about problem solving and creativity. And listen, I, I talk about innovators, talk about finding a way to throw a punch from a different angle or throw a head kick, you know, from a certain body position where you might not be loaded, you know, optimally and, and, and you're generating force in really funky positions. That's what our guys do. They just find a way. Um, and it, it, it's really fascinating to watch. My second off the wall question um, was, you may not be able to comment on the first one for legal reasons, but the second one potentially, what are your views? And this is going away from what we're currently talking about around um, like how the, the, the crossover between boxing and MMA, obviously the McGregor and Mayweather mm-hmm. fight. And I saw the drawing this week that um, Eddie Hall has now challenged Hapthor Bjorn, yeah, his second mountain. name, but the man mountain from Game of Thrones, everyone now knows him, to a boxing match. <laughs> right. Um, what's going on? <laughs> Who should well, we put our money on? Um, <laughs> everyone. Well, the, whole, yeah, the mountain, obviously, is flipping massive. I mean, you notice he won, won competing against deadlifting. It was something that he, you know, he wasn't, wasn't necessarily good at. I mean, uh, the fact of the day, it's a fight game, right? And that, one thing I've learned is. Uh, promotional side the business side of what is you know professional combat sport is uh, is all driven by um interest you know who do, who do we want to see fight you know like, would you pay money to watch eddie hall try and beat the mountain or just watch the mountain squash his head like he does on game <laughs> yeah. of thrones i mean literally people would pay money for that and, you know they've, you've got um ksi and that put what's yeah, his yeah. name paul logan paul you know, yeah. yeah like like that's they're not professional yeah. boxers, but you know that earn millions of dollars for somebody, right? So it all comes down to fighting is the most granular level thing that we do as human beings. Like going back to Neanderthal times, that's the first sport is fighting, right? And and it's you know we we Dana White used to you know he had a quote where it says it's in our DNA. You know fighting is in our DNA. We you love it or hate it, and we love it at the UFC. You know and um, that that everyone can can resonate with a fight. So that that's kind of the foundation of it, and that's why you see these cross stylistic promotions because people are fascinated by all right. You got Floyd Mayweather who's never been beaten, and you got Conor McGregor who's this huge kind of superstar and, and flamboyant character. Can he? can he survive against the world's best boxers? And I mean, so people pay money to watch that and someone's making a lot of money from it. Um, I enjoy watching the fight game unravel a little bit because it starts now with like the, the trash talk, doesn't it? And it's like, the, like you say, there's the business side of it and the promotional side of it. And there's like, I remember watching the McGregor Mayweather, um, like the press conference afterwards. They're the best mates after they've just yeah, earned yeah. like so, a considerable amount of money. Sold a lot of tickets <laughs> and sucked us all yeah. into watching it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, that, that's what it's, it's entertainment at the end of the day. It's sports entertainment. Yeah. And um, we can't get away from that. You know, the Olympics is sports entertainment and it's a, it's a different genre, but it's still, uh, people are tuning in to watch competition. It's a fight. It's, well, it's all professional sport where it's, it's like, uh, it's this, let's just this fine line between it's a job for the people, but then it's not cause it's like you're sporting your thing you love, but then it's also at yeah. the end of the day, it's entertainment and like, the, right. the yeah trying to juggle those three things and all different sports you talked about like ethoses and, and whatnot all different sports have different varieties or variations in that but it is always like a a fine one to sort of try and try and manage i know that when we were playing pro yeah. rugby there's guys that were like 
it, it like just because they were getting paid it sort of like changed things and the pressure's different and all of a sudden it was like oh this thing you love but then now it's your job and it's like oh I don't want to go to work but you do like work do you know I mean you get all that sort of in the mix as well yeah yeah I think um you, you've nailed it and I think when you look at martial arts you know that that lifelong studentship yeah. that kind of apprentice and sensei mentality um of martial arts is a, is a lifelong commitment um and what these guys have done is just turned martial arts into competition yeah. they still have that within them though like as a small kid when they were getting into wrestling or judo or jiu-jitsu or kickboxing there's a there's a, a respect there's a, a, a you know respect the system yeah. respect the yeah. art um that these guys all really still display even though they're professional yeah. fighters when now. as you said before they and love think, it like you can't go in the octagon unless you love it like it's just not gonna happen nah yeah. Well, no, it won't happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you run in and run back out for a million quid as long as no one hits me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just start challenging someone, Jack. How many people pay for me and you to have a fight? I don't know. We well, can, like, I mean, the first, the first, the first point of, first point of promotion is people have got to want to watch it. That's the handbags at door. Just suggest that to Dana. Um, All right. Duncan, yeah. see, if he's, see if he's interested. Let us know. Pay per two, two clowns <laughs> back in the school. Look how it's done. They're a bit wet, but they can do a handstand. <laughs> yeah, the ring walkout will be yeah. amazing, but yeah. the, fight, the, the, the fight will be. Uh, will be I reckon you can do a flag 20, on the side of the Oxford. 25 minutes of spooning. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Um, we could, let's be, dive onto into we could of... be onto something. Let's, let's... Well, yeah, let, we'll leave it with you. Let us know. Get yeah. back to us. Um, <laughs> one of the things we want to talk a little bit around, you kind of already alluded to it, because um, we had uh, we, we did an interview with, um, I forget his second name. What's the first name? It's going to be really embarrassing. Uh, Mark from um, Project Performance. Ah, yeah. Mark Bell. Sorry, Mark, if you're listening. And he's like, obviously, a background in powerlifting. And Jack and I said before, like, if we get him on and we say to him, so um, what do you think about calisthenics? And he's like, well, it's for people that can't lift barbells. And it's going to be a really <laughs> short podcast. But you've already kind of like alluded to the fact that you think there's some value. But some of our community are, are sort of into MMA and particularly jujitsu. And a lot of the feedback that we get from them is that they have combined calisthenics into their jujitsu training and are really feeling the benefits of that. You've already awesome. touched on some of the, the, the athleticism around that. But is there any more sort of detail as to why they might be experiencing some, some benefits from that type of training or the crossover between those two types of training? Yeah, I mean, you know, kudos to you guys, uh, you know, to, to supporting those those athletes and those fighters as they're preparing for jiu-jitsu. And yeah, it resonates a lot with me because when I look at the sport of jits, it's, um, you know, it's about sustained tension, um, you know, through a muscle and a, ten, you know, a muscle tendon kind of complex, um, which I think calisthenics really supports. And if you look at jiu-jitsu, um, particularly the postures and the positions you're getting into, those end range positions, those kind of, you know, you're trying to submit someone through a, a larger joint locks, right? So how do you submit someone? You're moving a joint into end range um, and then, you know, it becomes painful. So, you know, you've got to have a tissue tolerance, tolerance in those end ranges, which your particularly your hangs, um, you know, some of your shoulder work really kind of emphasizes um, they, they will really contribute and, and it doesn't surprise me at all. So, you know, the ability to develop force or generate or attenuate force in end range motion um, is, is a huge component of jujitsu. 
um, and then just sustained tissue tolerance that not necessarily max strength efforts um, but tension throughout a muscle tendon complex for sustained efforts is, is really what jujitsu is about. Yeah, I think a lot of people will that have that start calisthenics having not done you know like you know a lot of people are like me and Tim were we hadn't done any gymnastics we hadn't done any of this type of uh, strength work before where you are demanding that sort of tendon strength and, and tension as you say and you know about it when you first get into it particularly if you get a bit excited and you go yeah. over the top because you just your joints aren't conditioned yeah. to do that have you got any yeah. um any sort of protocols or what do you sort of is there anything that you've you know snapshots that you could give people in terms of trying to look after those things if you're trying to you're you're effectively trying to train that sort of ability to have tension at those end ranges mm. but obviously we see a lot of people overtraining that and we're getting like you know tendon issues particularly yeah. around the elbow and that type of stuff yeah no and i think it's is the old adage of kind of you got to walk before you yeah. run, right? And um, as as competitors and as athletes, they want to do the most flamboyant freaking <laughs> drill uh, for, from day one, and you know it's, it can be counterproductive, and, and we all know that. And you know, the basic one on one of progressive overload, but um, yeah, the, 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 you you got to part your ego at the door a little bit. You got to be, and I think that's an education piece. That's the role of the coach is to demonstrate or educate why the process where there is a process to it and the speed of the process and to manage that that process um is so crucial you know it's so critical because you can get into some problems so yeah we we come up against that with our world-class professional fighters you know is is the speed of watch how how quickly they want to progress um why something that's a very basic fundamental movement pattern but we're doing it at speed to allow tissue adaptation you know we know from biology and physiology 101 that yeah. tend we can't expedite that um and that's where we get into trouble so you know this is an education yeah and that's and it's a slower it's rate a, basically for the, for those sure. uh, listening yeah yeah absolutely and, and again that's where the ego check has to come into it which yeah. is a hard bit for us all as human beings who wants to check yeah. their ego and say i'm worse i'm worse Right. And I think I am. Nobody wants to say yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's great. Say, it re-emphasizes the point. Tim talks about that. that all the time. Um, it's literally that, like that phrase of leave your ego at the door or uh, and earn the right to progress. Um, yeah. yeah. It's hard but to I listen to. The, I, Tim to says that, it. I find it? I'm, I'm one of the guys that find it hard not to. Do you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. yeah, so you've got you to have small goals. You've got to, you've still got to see success. You know what I mean? So again, it comes back to how do you... How do you Keeps yeah. success. Well, I think one of the things that would um, we wanted to touch on that breeds in nicely to that is uh, the the recovery side of things um, because obviously anything we can do to to aid recovery is going to help with that adaptation, whether it's muscular or tendon. But um, with we've seen that you know almost like that you you at the UFC you've got every single thing under the sun and probably and the sun itself to uh to help to help with that what sort of talk us through some of the things that um that might get us excited that we that we we might we may we might one day be able to get hold of because these things filter down to general pop eventually um and then also the flip side of that what are the things that the guys do that are just bread and butter that everyone can do but they just don't do properly well enough yeah 
I mean, you're right. We have we have lots of toys, right? Um, we have everything from you know light bed therapies, which I know you guys are connected yeah. with. Um, you know your colleagues over there. We've got you know cryotherapy, you know cold baths, hot tubs, saunas, steam. Um, you know Normatex, game readies, compression. You know everything. Newcom sent you know Gabba, uh, you know Gabba for promoting sleep and and all these different types of things. Binodal beats. Um, but at the same time, we use, you know, generic apps that you can, you know, whether it's Headspace or Calm yeah. or any of these other kind of apps that anyone can access at a, a pretty low price. Just the, the key to it is, you know, switching from sympathetic drive to parasympathetic drive. Like how can you take your body into the relaxation um, and the regeneration um, physiology, let's say. Mm. That, that's the key. Um, we we know that that's a very personal thing. So what you know what what makes you excited about recovering might might, might be my worst idea. And it, if I, the thought of getting in the you know cryotherapy might spike my sympathetic drive rather than promoting my parasympathetic regeneration, yeah. so it's counterproductive. Um, so there's a massive psychological aspect to um, recovery, which is why you see all these apps like Newcom and um, Marketplace because they, they, they basically take you into relaxive, relaxive states. So that's the key thing. Um, so it's not about having all the toys. It's about finding the toy that works best for you as, a, yeah. as an individual. It's about finding the mechanism or the modality that is really something that makes you go from, you know, wired, charged and tight to relaxed yeah. and calm. Do they do much peaceful. on breath work? Um, or, you know, we do a lot on breath work. A massive amount of breath work. We do we do a lot of work um, for yeah. performance and competition, but also to take them out of that sympathetic drive and put them into a calming yeah. state. Because if you think about a fighter, yeah. every, everything is go. Like you, you are on flight or fight um, kind of response every single time yeah. you go. Which into is the sympathetic. Competition. So yeah. getting them out of that is huge. Right. Yeah. It's it's all sim- Yeah. It's all sympathetic survival yeah. mode. Whereas you want to bring someone into a relaxation and recovery mode. Yeah, you know? and that's the parasympathetic. So we do a lot yeah. of breath work. Yeah. yeah, so using breath techniques, whether it's box breathing um, or those types of methods, we, we do a lot of that for recovery yeah. also. We had, have you come across the Oxygen Advantage? Patrick McKeon. Yeah, I mean, I listened, oh, yeah. I listened to um, your guys' podcast. I read the book a number of times and then I saw you had him on. So, yeah, I'm a huge yeah, believer. Yeah, great. No, yeah, it's... Um, Fascinating. I've talked like talking to him again, like where he 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 spoke about like that the the word that you said it there as well the the relaxation being an absolute key during yeah. during that time uh, or during that that yeah. thing when you're trying to go the other way uh, in terms of you're trying to bring yourself down. I know that there's there is uh, we've never really explored it, but there are some techniques that would try, try to get you going the other way to 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 get ready for for fighting and that sort of or get get ready for things yeah absolutely and think about it you know you you go you go and train and you you know you're very sympathetically driven Mm. during a training session and then the world we live in well it's a funny world (laughs) right now but i mean that's stressful that's stressful for people there's lack of routine but you know you go back home after working out at the gym and you you know you need to get your dinner ready and the kids are running around and crying and then you've got to get the washing done it's just like go 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 and, and at some point, we've got to turn the switch yeah. and turn things off. And that's not what we're good at as human beings. It's certainly what we're not, what athletes are not good at, is when do they turn things yeah. off? Um, but we know that's so critical to the whole development process. Is that hard for you as a coach? Could be you're like, I mean, you're submerged in that. Is that? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's also the way I'm wired personally. Mm. And, you know, a lot of self-reflection, you start to say, all right, how am I looking after myself mm. as a coach? You know, but, you know, I'm, I'm competitive as yeah. a coach. I want to keep pushing and creating and innovating and, and pushing the boundaries and working with fighters for the greater good of, of what they're doing, yeah. you know. Um, so you, you get yeah. caught up in the treadmill as well. Um, but, yeah, whether it's kind of using breathing for performance, because, again, as, as you've talked about with Patrick's work, you can really elevate your heart rate variability. You can elevate your ability to tolerate um, lactate and lactic acid. Um, but also on the recovery side of things, breathing as a modality is a huge um, driver of parasympathetic recovery, for sure. Whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast, there's something else that we think you will also really enjoy. And that is the virtual classroom. If you're a beginner, we have got an eight-week free beginner's program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better, get superhuman strong, and have a lot of fun along the way. If you're ready to take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a frog to handstand or a muscle-up, then inside the virtual classroom, you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need. But rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere. Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast. We, we've got some close friends, uh, Brian McKenzie and the yeah. state guys, um, who uh, have done a lot of breathing work and, and, and some of the other kind of work with athletes and breathing. But if you speak to a lot of our fighters, they'll do a lot of aquatic training. Right. Um, which I've started doing as well, like underwater breath mm-hmm. holds and um, like, like um, conditioning efforts under the water, which is a absolute like mind, <laughs> yeah. excuse me, like, like <laughs> ju- you know, there's one thing holding your breath and doing something on an assault yeah. bike, but knowing you can breathe. But when you're 15 foot deep in a diving tank, yeah. you know, and you, it's a different kind of stressor and really promotes your ability to, to you know, mitigate your heart rate yeah. and use your mind to control your breath and how quickly and you can you relax so a lot of our, <laughs> when you... yeah, a lot of fighters a lot of fighters use yeah. that what's your max breath hold mine is about 140 at the minute what so a minute 40 wow. yeah i think that's good oh okay <laughs> <laughs> no. we used to play around when i was a I was working as a diving instructor. You used to play around a little bit of free diving because you're just around the ocean and stuff. And you think you're generally quite good at that sort of stuff. You go, I can swim underwater. You snorkel <laughs> when I was five. And, and you don't realize how hard it is. You go down, you start kicking a little bit. And yeah. to get to five meters, because we would dive with, with watches on um, and stay down there, you, you really get appreciate, appreciation for what mm. one free divers can do people that work in the ocean but like you say like you don't need to do a lot to just go and properly get stressed out and then like swimming to the surface thinking crikey like, yeah the, the, the other go. thing is which like me just dropping into a swimming pool and like just relaxing mm. and holding my breath yeah minute 40 but me trying yeah. to swim underwater or or, mm. or grab a ball from the bottom or walk across the bottom of a, of a pool with carrying weights when you start adding activity to that yeah whew, that reduces massively so that's where your CO2 tolerance um, is, is a real big trigger as well as just your ability to hold your breath, you know. That, that's what our fighters have to deal I with. I just wouldn't recommend the nasal breathing when you're just, underwater. Yeah, not the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I just was interested on one thing around and on um, conditioning. So we'll sometimes get people that are mixing. You, you say you, you guys mix a lot of modalities at the same time because of the nature of the sport. Yeah. In terms of how people, how you guys break down and periodize your programs and a mixture between sort of like, do you do much aerobic conditioning because it's a massive part of like the amount of time the guys have got to work for? How does that mix in with with more sort of anaerobic conditioning um, and then the strength work? How do you how do you move so many pieces around at the same time? Yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> that, I mean, literally, that's a million-dollar that, question. Yeah, that that's another three-day podcast. No, I mean that—that's the crux <laughs> of it. Is like, when, when do you push and when do you pull? Like, how, how are you promoting the development of a system which might actually interfere or conflict with the development of another system? Like, how much of it do you do it? How frequently do you do it? All this type of concurrent training stuff is what we deal with. Um, so, yeah, I mean. There's an amount of aerobic conditioning um, that goes into it. Um, an aerobic base is really important for, um, you know, cardiovascular like capacity, um, heart, muscle, and, and lungs, obviously. Um, but the, we don't have a lot of time to sit in kind of road work or treadmill work and just do your classic aerobic efforts that, you know, historically boxers have done a lot of that, right? Um, what we're doing is really getting into kind of the concurrent, um, high intensity modalities and understanding what's going on with respect to mitochondrial development um, from some of the hit stimulus. So you can really play around with high intensity efforts of different intensity or duration, which look like sprint training, but there's pretty solid evidence out there now that whether it's mitochondrial proliferation or mitochondrial efficiency, you can get aerobic type qualities from doing some short interval based work. Um, so that really lends itself to our sport. Number one, from an efficiency of building out a workout. But number two, it's the, you know we're five minute rounds. It's go go go, and then it's rest for a minute. It's go go go, rest for a minute. Like we can build out pseudo rounds that we know we still can put at a certain intensity where we can tap into some of the aerobic characteristics. So I'm not in this day and age, not a lot of fighters now just sit and do you know just just do a lot of road work. Some do. You know we've got some really famous fighters like the Diaz brothers. Um, Cowboy Cerrone, you know, they're big triathletes and bike riders and do a lot of kind of cross training using bike, you know, cycling and those types of modalities. Um, but the days of exclusively just doing long, slow, prolonged workouts are kind of gone for combat um, because we know we can still get some of those benefits through more high explosive efforts, which mm. reflects the nature of our sport a little bit more. So we're really getting into some of that for sure. Nice. Thanks very much, Dunk. I think we've... Uh... Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a biochemistry class if you get into that, and then people are really... <laughs> we'll get you in for a special <laughs> webinar. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks so much for your time today. It's been oh, an absolute pleasure to have you on. and just uh, yeah, It's been a while since we got to chat, yeah, so um, yeah. appreciate your, your download of all that information, and there's definitely just some really interesting nuances of your sport and match with your experience, which I think people are going to really enjoy listening yeah, to. What- Cool. Well, thanks. There's thanks one thing I thought you forgot to mention that to get the guys on side, I'm sure you just took them out for a beer or two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got to, you've got to keep my you know, the athletes. You've got to keep on your side because you don't want a, a cage fight. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Side of you, that's for sure. Or in a bar with a few too many beers, <laughs> yeah. down well, and uh, yeah. it gets a bit rowdy. As long as, as, long as you're side, buying yeah, their drinks, and that's the right that's the right person yeah. you want in a bar. <laughs> True, yeah. that is the person you want. So, Duncan, thank you so much for uh, coming onto the podcast and, and sharing your knowledge and experience with us and all the listeners. We've uh, we've absolutely uh, massively enjoyed having your time and appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks, man. 
Yeah, so uh, we've got nothing else to say here at the Scorecast Cynics other than until next time. This class is dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a load of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good keep it five are the best five of your best stars please (laughs) and if you would like to find out more about the school of calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got head over to our virtual classroom you can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com and that is where we have got literally possibly the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world it's definitely the best one we've done and on that note until next week class dismissed